Trigger warning, the Resilience Project provides an open space for people to share their personal experiences. Some content in this podcast may include topics that you may find difficult. The listener's discretion is advised. Hello, friends. Welcome to Radical Resilience, a weekly show where I, Blair Kaplan Venables, have inspirational conversations with people who have survived life's most challenging times. We all have the ability to be resilient and bounce forward from a difficult experience. And these conversations prove just that. Get ready to dive into these life-changing moments while strengthening your resilience muscle and getting raw and real. Here we are, another episode of Radical Resilience, another episode about our parents dying. This time, the focus is on our father. I'm here with Alana Kaplan, my sister, and it's me, Blair Kaplan Venables. Hi, Alana. Hello again. Hello again. (laughs) Um, You know, I was hoping this episode wouldn't be so soon, but here we are. February 18th, 2022, our father passed away and we're just here to talk about it. Um, You know, if you're trying to do the math in under a year, both our parents died. Our mother died fast and furious, got sick, died through, like was diagnosed and died three weeks later. Our father got sick and was, was sick for a very long time and was told he was terminal three years ago. So um, we're just going to walk you through the the experience we had with um, our dad How's it going, Alana? Oh, it's going, you know, <laughs> as, as okay as it can be after losing two parents in less than a year. Yeah, bonkers. Okay, so Alana moved back to Winnipeg and our father was um, living at like a care facility in a hospital in Winnipeg. So Alana was able to see him, um, you know, once a week-ish. And, you know, Alana and I both had a communication with him um, on Facebook Messenger. He didn't really have a phone. We would video chat with him. And towards the end, he was starting to be delusional. Like he would tell me that he was at work when he was just literally on the computer hanging out. And, you know, Alana caught him making a shopping list. (laughs) of clothes he needed for work. And, you know, we, we both kind of knew this was creeping towards the end. And I was on Vancouver Island to do some deep soul work, some deep healing work at the beginning, um, at the beginning of February, end of January. And right before I went in, Alana informed me that she was at my dad's care facility um, and that the doctor pulled her into a room. Do you want to talk about that conversation? Sure. So I had just had a visit with my dad and I was usually what I had would do is at the end of each visit, go to the front, just do a check-in, see how, what their perspective was. And and this particular day, the doctor happened to be there, um, which was a little, I mean, I guess the doctors work every day, um, but it was like a Sunday morning and essentially it was a conversation of the doctor saying, typically, if I see a decline over months, then a patient has months left. Typically, if I see a decline, 
over weeks, the client has weeks left. And after talking with him and sharing some of these observations, so like the shopping list, thinking he was at work, having these big grandiose plans to travel, um, the doctor confirmed that he believed that there was a bit of a decline over the past month. This at this point, I think was January 30th or something, whatever the Sunday was, doesn't really matter the day. Um, and had informed me typically the way, I guess, with this illness, one way people die is typically they have a fall and they become bedridden and then the decline is pretty fast from there. And he suspected that that would be the case with our dad. And then, so a few days later, Blair went to Vancouver Island and she well, had no, a I was on Vancouver Island and you called me because I, we talked before I turned my phone off. Right. I was doing it. So Alana gave me this update while I'm on Vancouver Island. And so I gave her like the number of where I was at. Cause my phone was going to be off. And so I got there Thursday I was there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and I was going to be done Sunday. And Saturday night, I had a weird, like, intuitive feeling um, to turn my phone on and check in with my sister. And so I uh, turned my phone on and sent her a text. And she asked if I wanted a dad update. And I asked if he was still alive. (laughs) And she said, alive, yes, but. And from when I went in to um, this healing retreat on, like, the Thursday all the way to the Saturday, there was a, a rapid decline. And I was pretty upset. And I, that night had a dream that my dad died, our dad died. And then Alana, I texted her in the morning and she said she had that dream too. And my gut told me, get on a plane and go to Winnipeg. So instead of integrating back into society after doing some deep, like heart opening work, I hopped on a plane and flew from like Comox to Edmonton, no Comox to Calgary to Winnipeg. And then we sat with our dad for a couple of weeks. Now those, like, I remember like from the airport, I video called Lana who was with dad and he was very confused. He thought I was coming from Brazil and but he was very pre- pleasant. And it was, it was, it was, you know, like there was lots of humor there, but it was also really sad, really, really sad because this is like the invincible man who would never die. And it was actually happening and it became very real and it brought up a lot of feelings of what happened with our mom. However, our dad's exit from this earth was completely different than our mother's like completely different. And so um, I get to Winnipeg, I get on a list. um, And so Alana and I start spending time with dad. (laughs) I don't really know the sequence of events because it was quite blurry, but I got to Winnipeg. Was it February 4th or 5th? All I know is it was a Sunday. And so essentially the day before, so when Blair had texted me, that day he had another fall. And they like oh. found they found him um beside his bed without his oxygen. And he needs his oxygen to be alive. So when I mean, I'm definitely not a doctor. Yeah, like he took his oxygen off. He kept taking his oxygen off and like leaving his bed and like trying to go somewhere. And so in this particular time, they didn't know how long he was without his oxygen. Um, But when they did put the oxygen back in, like he 
it, it sounded like he had a stroke, like it was really hard. He was not enunciating his words. So then when Blair came in on this Sunday, he was a little better, but not great. And then through the weeks did start getting better. Yeah, he started to get better. And Aladdin and I were supposed to go to Palm Springs. We were supposed to leave on February 18th. And so the doctor just thought, okay, Leonard has an infection. We're going to give him antibiotics. And he started to improve. And the doctor even said, you know what? You go on your trip. We'll keep giving him the medication until you're back. And like, we didn't really know how we felt about that. So we decided to like, kind of suss things out and see like how we like how our how he was and also we both knew at the gut at the core that this was the end like I felt like I didn't want to leave like I didn't feel like it was right yeah I mean I remember Blair was at the hospital that day so I I was working and and sequence of events was good news he's okay he's getting better um the doctor says we can go on our trip he'll keep him on antibiotics and immediately my like stomach dropped i was like this i don't want to be playing god here or higher power here like whatever is meant to be meant to be i i personally was it was an ethical dilemma i was like you know like if his quality of life isn't good don't keep him on medications sorry, my cat's walking by just so we can go on a trip. Yeah. Like it just, like, we're didn't, gonna, it didn't, it didn't sit right. well. And then it's like, okay, so if we do go on this trip, we're going to be, we're supposed to be going to like honor our mom's one year anniversary, but we'll be thinking about our dad and he's going to be just like on it. So we didn't like that. So we all. just decided, okay, let's get a credit for our flights. We'll cancel the Airbnb and we'll see what happens. And so like the doctor predicted, um, he, like he's, he's, he was doing okay with the medication, but he was still delirious. And he, he did have an incident within the week um, where he made it to the bathroom from his bed. First of all, like, we don't even know how he did that because he couldn't even do it with oxygen, but he did it without oxygen and they found him un, like unresponsive in the bathroom. And what Alana and I learned right before this was that there's something called the PPS, the palliative performance scale. And like, it goes like a hundred percent, 90%, 80%, et cetera. You can look it up. And I have never heard of this, but we were trying to gauge like where what's happening with our dad. And so they told us about this PPS system. And so he was kind of hovering around like 40%. And um, we called one morning to check in on him. And they said, they told us about this incident where they found him unresponsive. And he, we were told he was at 20%, meaning like he's going to potentially die. Like any hour now, any day now. And so they opened up visitors to allow my grandma, our grandma and our aunt to also come because, you know, COVID restrictions. And this day, it was uh, February 11th. This day was also our mother's Hebrew yurt site, which in Judaism is the Hebrew anniversary of their passing. So we had a really beautiful like Friday night dinner planned with our mom's family. And we were going to, you know, light the candle and honor our mother. But instead we spent the day with our dad and a lot of really funny, <laughs> like we have to see the humor in this. Okay. So a couple of synchronicities. One, our mother's name was Sharon. So the nurse, the nurse that was looking after dad, her name was Sharon. 
the rabbi bless him like grateful for rabbi rose rabbi cleo rose in winnipeg you know he was aware of what was happening and we invited him to come because he he sat with me and dad while dad was conscious and we just talked about end of life and his wishes and you know that it's okay to let go and we've had some really cool chats me and dad and me dad and the rabbi and me and alana dad anyways so dad's like dad's unresponsive and he's now in bed. They put him back on oxygen. The nurses can't wake him. I can't wake him. Alana can't wake him. Baba can't wake him. Susan can't wake him. But um, the rabbi asked to come and do a prayer called Vidui, which is like the safe passage prayer, like the like end of life prayer. And Alana and me, like we're, we're convinced like this is it, like he's going to go. And remember, our mom literally like was like, okay, I'm going to die. I'm going to close my eyes and die now. And like, that was that. But what we learned was that our father was very stubborn, even till the bitter end, even in fact, after. <laughs> and um, so me and Alana are holding hands and we're holding hands with our dad and the rabbis sing this prayer and Alana and I are crying and it's just so beautiful. And, you know, we, we say goodbye and the doctor walks in and like goes, Hey Leonard, you want some, want some medication? And he opens his eyes and he's like, yep. <laughs> So like no one could wake him. No one could like we literally thought it was time. Like no one could wake him. And so dad here is like, oh, I'm getting meds. Snapped right out of it. So this was like an indication of how the next week was going to be. We didn't know how long it was going to be. Um, he hovered around this 20% for a while. We called in the palliative doctor, which was a different doctor than we were dealing with. And one of the lessons we learned was that a lot of people, when they die, die the way they lived. And our father lived a very selfish, stubborn life. Great man. But when you live, when you live with addiction, your brain gets rewired and he did not want to go like he, before he declined, he was very clear that he loved having three square meals a day and free Wi-Fi. He loved living where he lived. He had all of his needs taken care of. He was given all of his meds. He got bathed, he got fed, he had free Wi-Fi. He was very, very happy. Um, and, you know, it was really interesting to see like what we thought was the end. And this happened multiple times, multiple times. So we actually <laughs> met with the palliative doctor on the Monday. Oh, no, yeah, the Monday. And we talked about removing all the barriers to a natural death because it was not quality of life. He was basically a corpse, but was still breathing with oxygen. Yeah. Monday was probably the last conscious day there was to him. So we had, we spent basically the weekend with him, tried watching the Super Bowl with him. He was adamant. He wanted to see Dr. Dre perform Oh, so, right, right. Oh my God. One of his last requests was to listen to next episode by Dr. Dre, which was so hilarious. We did. I mean, he was having an agitated episode during Dr. Dre's performance, but during the Super Bowl, during the Super Bowl, but he did get to hear it. But he, we um, also played it on our phones because he loved music. Yeah, so we true. played lots of music. He wanted to listen to Billy Joel, Billy Eilish, all the Billies, Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> Listen to achy breaky heart. But yeah. So anyways, the Monday, right. The Monday after the Super Bowl was probably one of his last like days where he was as Leonard as he can be before he kind of went into like the very end stages. Yeah. And so it's, it's quite the story, but I think that 
the essential parts of the story is that so the doc, the palliative doctor who's been working in the palliative community for, I think, like over 12 years or something along those lines was stumped by her dad. So he was odd. a medical mystery. She kept so, saying uh, medical mystery. So essentially. So what would happen is Blair would go in the mornings and I would go in the afternoon. So I was still trying to work my days because. I'm still at a new job, still trying to get my bearings straight. So I would work in the mornings, then go. And then so on the Wednesday, um, my grandmother wanted to go. So I, I brought her in and we spent time together with her dad. And then Blair went to take our grandmother home. And during that time, the doctor, the palliative doctor came into the room. And just by the state of how he was, um his breathing so he you google the death rattle and it says typically someone will live for 23 hours the longest will be 48 hours not if you're leonard kaplan um so she said where's your sister i and i told her that she was just taking a bit of a break dropping my grandmother off and she's like so she's coming back and i'm like yeah she's like that's good i'll be surprised if he's here tomorrow surprise <laughs> He was there on Thursday and it was, we can laugh about it now, but it was so painful for everyone because he was not himself at this point. He was a shell of his being. And we like, it was painful for us because we would say goodbye every night we would leave and say goodbye and be at peace with that. But then the next day he'd still be alive. So it was kind of like a re anticipatory grief that that is even a thing every single day and like there were some moments that are funny that like happened but ultimately it was just really painful for us and so Blair advocated to see what else can be done because our dad's tolerance to medication was so high that they couldn't get him into a sedated enough state where they could remove his oxygen, which was the only barrier left for him to have a natural death. So with consultation, the doctor realized, well, basically Blair explained what happened with her mom and that basically they gave her some morphine and then she went. Um, and so the doctor realized that my dad actually didn't have morphine in his system. It was one of the medications he didn't have. He had basically every other medication under the sun, but not morphine. And so him and the nurse talked, sorry, her and the nurse talked about it and decided that they would try kind of one final go at it, giving oh, please. I just want to say, okay, so this is now on Friday, February 18th. Okay. Friday, February 18th is when the doctor decided that they've tried everything else possible and they were going to give it one more effort. Back to you, Alana. <laughs> and so she decided, okay, we'll give a, and I have to do this in chronological order. And if you listened to a few weeks ago, you'll understand. I'm, I was like this about our mom's passing to it. It's really helpful to talk about. So basically she, she gave him a crisis dose of morphine, which was like an intense dosage at a certain hour, 3 p.m. And then they gave him another dosage at 4 p.m. 
And then, so my dad, not only did he have like the nasal prong oxygen, he had the mask. So there was going to be a gradual removal, which they've tried multiple times throughout the week, but to no success, he would go into an agitation. Um, And so that was successful. So she sat with me and, and at this point, my uncle, my dad's brother had flown in um, because he was like, okay, it's time for me to be there and (laughs) say goodbye. And um, so it was me and my uncle and then the doctor. And so after an hour, there was no, there was no more oxygen. Um, So that was at 5 PM. And then she left and an hour and a half later, just over an hour and a half later, he ended up dying, taking his, his last breath, which me, Blair, our aunt and uncle were able to be there for. And so this dying process for our mom took like 48 to 50, whatever, 60 hours for our dad was three years plus a full week. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, we, we don't need to go into all the details. There was a lot of like really beautiful moments. We listened to a lot of music, held like I held, you know, held hands. We had some death pep talks that it was okay to let go. We had staff members from all departments come in and hold his hand and pray. Um, you know, at one point his roommate wasn't feeling awesome. And like, you know, like I can't, I just like, I can't go into some of the details. Like it's just not like probably appropriate, but like, it was a really interesting experience because it was extremely different than our moms, but our dad through and through was as stubborn as he can be um, until the end. But we want, I guess, this episode to reflect a couple of things. First of all, whether you lose a parent suddenly or you know they're going to die, whether they're 60 or like, I mean, I don't know what it's like to lose a parent when I'm 60 and they're 90, but losing a parent is fucking terrible. Like it's, it's painful and it's sad no matter what, whether you are like super connected to them and very close with them or they're someone you've just recently reconnected with, whether it's they die overnight or suddenly or in a couple of days to like being told they're going to die and it takes three years. They're both very painful experiences. But we've learned some lessons. And I think some of the things that are really important is that you as a family member, and this is the doctor reinforced and the doctor let let us know multiple times how lucky dad was to have us, is that if you have a parent in the hospital system, you or someone in your family need to advocate for them. You need to advocate. Like there were there were nights where there was only two staff members on and like, we should have gotten a phone call when our dad was found unresponsive, but they didn't have enough staff to even call us. We called in the morning and that's when they told us. And so you need to constantly be advocating and it's okay to do research. It's okay to ask the people in your life about what to do, because like, where would we have been if I didn't bring up the morphine, you know, like maybe that would have never even come into the sphere of the doctor's awareness because the situation was so unique. Um, 
but I think it's really important to advocate. The other thing that I think is really important, and this is something I'm stressing a lot to the people in my life, and like I'm a vintage millennial and I'm in that age range, well, me and Alana are in the age range where people are starting to lose their parents. You know, we're in our 30s and that's not really old, but I guess our parents' generation is just, I guess they don't make them like they used to. Like, I don't know what the answer is. Maybe it's microwaves. I call my parents' generation the microwave generation. Like, I have no idea what's going on, but um you're never going to regret spending more time with your parents. You're never going to regret it. You'll regret making the decision to go somewhere and do something that's not with your parents. If you have the choice to spend time with them and you choose something else. And I say this because I moved away right after university. My dad and I fixed our relationship when I was in my twenties. I stopped drinking three years ago. And my life used to be when I'd go home to Winnipeg, it'd be meeting up with friends and partying and having fun And I wish I had more time with my mom. I wish I had more time with my dad, you know, and if my priorities were different, if I would know that their life would have been cut so short, my life and my choices surrounding my time with them would be extremely different. And so, you know, I have friends who like, you know what, I'm, I, I can work remotely. I'm going to go home and hang out for a week. Go do that because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen to your health. You don't know what's going to happen to your parents. So one, my tips are advocate, be an advocate for any family member in the hospital. You or someone else needs to be there, needs to push, needs to ask questions. Don't be passive Two, You're never, we're going to, you're never going to regret spending that time, that extra time. Like, and you're never going to get that time back. Do you have some tips? I don't know if I have anything necessarily to add. I do want to put an asterisk against the spending more time with parents, just because I do recognize that not everyone has safe and healthy relationships with their parents. So if it's not a parental, like biological parent, whoever that person is for you, that helps if you, if you have a person that like someone you love someone you love, like it doesn't have to be strictly parents, just anyone like prioritize the people in your life who make you feel good and, and who you love definitely advocate, do your research, but also don't spiral. Yeah. Don't spiral. Like Dr. Google is sometimes helpful, but a lot of the times not. Um, And make sure to take care of yourself during this the period of time. It is pretty stressful. And I mean, I feel like Blair and I have just come off a year of, of this type of stress. And while I think I did the best I could in the time being at the time, what I want to do now is prioritize, like taking care of myself and treating myself. Like this shows you life is short, obviously, if you have responsibilities, you need to do them like work, make money, save. But I just keep thinking about how, and I know this episode's about our dad, but I just like keep thinking about how our mom never got to retire. And so the reality is, is people have to work. Um, but don't, if you can do things that make you feel good. Yeah. Like, like fill, I, yeah. Be fulfilled. Be fulfilled. Like this weekend, I impulsively booked a facial at a really nice spa 
never had a facial. I was like, I deserve to treat myself. And I did. And I have zero regrets. Would I have done this five years ago? Absolutely not. Oh yeah. No, I always spend money on myself, nails, hair. Well, I just got my hair done, but like nails, massages, I think self-care is like, it's definitely like really important, but even taking care of yourself and making sure like when you're going through the end of life and the grieving stage is sleep, making sure you're drinking water, making sure you're eating and eating somewhat healthy. Like you're not just eating bread, but get those vegetables in, get that fruit in. Um, you know, someone wants to help accept the help. People want to send you gift cards for food do it. You want to help someone who's grieving or who's about to lose someone or who just lost someone gift cards for food delivery, send them, send them meals, send them gift cards for food delivery. Like those were the best ways to support us. And, you know, I'm sure Alana and I are going to come and talk about this a bit more because it's fresh February 18th. So 18, um, we're Jewish and 18 means chai. Every Hebrew letter is associated with a number. So the, the way that chai um, is spelt out, which means life is 18. And, you know, there's a, there was a spiritual side to our dad. And I thought it was very fitting that he passed away on the 18th. He passed away on Shabbat as the sun set. Um, and, you know, he went on his own terms, which is how he lived his life. And, I know that I did the best I could to have the best relationship I could with him in the time that we had. And, you know, he was the muse. He was the reason for the Global Resilience Project and which, you know, that book is coming to fruition and it's going to be out this spring. So I just want to say if you are struggling and you need support, feel free to reach out to me. You can find me on, on Instagram, Blair from Blairland. Or you can email me, Blair at BlairKaplan.ca. I can help you find resources. I can talk to you about it. I've now navigated a lot of dark times and loss. And we hope this episode got you thinking about life and death and provided you some insight into our experience, you know, with the compound grief um, you know, I think we'll probably come back to this after some more deep reflection because the wound is still open. Um, it's definitely been interesting to navigate like a second parent's death while feeling like I was starting to be functional human after the first one. But thank you for tuning in to another episode. I was going to say dissecting success. That's my other podcast. <laughs> thank you for tuning into another episode of Radical Resilience. Alana, thank you for taking the time to jam with us. You listeners out there can't see her face, but it's beautiful and glowing because she took time for herself. It's true. Yeah, it's very true. glow. It's soft right now. And I hope I can come back in a time where I don't have to talk about grief. Well, you will because you're the project manager and so you're That's part of this true. project. So you'll be back. <laughs> Alana will be back. Alana, I love chatting with you. Um, not and you know, not when it's like sister, sister, but when it's like real life shit which is really what's been happening to us. So thank you for everyone who listened to us. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next week. That's a wrap for another episode of Radical Resilience. Do you feel inspired by this episode? You can subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player and connect with us to join the conversation at IamResilient.info. Remember, it's okay to not be okay. And you, my friend, are resilient. Radical Resilience is a podcast created by The Resilience Project.